they played beautifully at times throughout the season. Now, there were some inconsistent moments for sure, especially on the defensive side. But think about where they're at. Are they ahead of schedule? You better dang believe it with Josh Heupel there on Rocky Top. Let's think about what the big elephant in the room is, though. You've got to replace Hendon Hooker. Just me talking. I'm not concerned about it. Hello and welcome in. It's another edition of Always College Football. Today's Wednesday, March 15th. We hope you're as excited as we are for what is, I think, maybe the greatest day of the sports calendar. That's coming up tomorrow, so let's get our stuff out of the way. All right, let's get some college football taken care of because I know on Thursday and on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you're going to be all in on the NCAA March Madness Tournament. I'm all for it. I'll be alongside you. I will be in Birmingham at the BJCC watching not just my team, but I'm going to every single game, literally every game on both Thursday, that's eight games, and then on Saturday, that's two. Oh, no, that's never mind. Six games, whatever it is. I'm going to them all. I'm fired up about it. All right. Eight teams, if you will. And then, of course, we'll have the opportunity to see one prevail on either side of the bracket. Should be awesome. Looking forward to it. But we still have a lot of football that's going on right now. We're going to go through and continue to discuss some teams that are opening up spring practice. Pitt. We got Wake Forest. We got Colorado. We got TCU, the defending national runner-ups. And we're going to get to Tennessee and Oklahoma. Two teams that had won one. Very good year last year, one a very disappointing year, both hoping to go north as far as their expectations are concerned here in 2023. So a lot that we got to get to, a lot of teams we got to break down. We'll also do a top five plays of all time. That's right, plays, college football plays in the last decade, two decades, 20 years or so. That's where we decided to cut it off. No disrespect to any plays that happened prior to 2000, but we're going to live here at least in the 21st century as it relates to our favorite plays. So we'll hit those and we're going to get to the mailbag like we always do. So let's not waste any time. Let's preview some of these teams as they get ready to take the field for spring. Let's talk about it. All right, let's kick things off up in the steel city of Pittsburgh where things are going to look very different for Pitt here in 2023. A lot of new faces that they're having to fill. Keaton Slovis is gone. Izzy Abanacanda is gone. And that will be a significant loss. You think about what they've had the last couple years. A great potent passing attack two years ago. And then really a great run-centric approach offensively this past year built around the running back. It won't be easy to replace. But if you look at what Rodney Hammond did, there in the Sun Bowl, ran for 94 yards, had a couple touchdowns, earned the game MVP. Maybe replacing Izzy Abanacanda won't be the most difficult thing in the world. Will they completely center the offense around Hammond? You got to think that he's going to get the first crack at it. They also got a transfer from LSU. That's going to be Derek Davis. He'll be in the mix as well as far as that running back room is concerned. Now, it's going to be tough to find a replacement for Jared Wayne. He did a great job last year, but they also need to replace a bunch of pieces up front along the offensive line too. However, we all know it's a quarterback-driven sport, as much now as it's ever been. 
They're going to have their third different starting quarterback in the last three years. Okay, We know Pickett did a great job. We know that there were some decent moments last year from Keaton Slovis, but it was a bit of a roller coaster. Now it's going to be Phil Jerkovic, formerly of Boston College, formerly of Notre Dame. What will Phil Jerkovic do within this offense? I think a lot of us are really wondering that right now because Jerkovic has a world of potential. And being in Pittsburgh, he's naturally going to draw comparisons, fair or unfair, to Ben Roethlisberger. He's big in stature, he's strong in stature, and he's pretty mobile for a guy that has that much size. But the problem is he's really inconsistent and he has not really improved the way you would like a guy to improve over the course of his career. He's kind of been the same guy for a while. And in some ways, if we're going to be completely honest, he's kind of regressed a little bit along with that Boston College team as a whole the last couple of years. What will he do now with a new setup? It's going to be interesting to watch, but I think all eyes will be on the new quarterback and what should be, for the most part, a new look offense there for Pitt here in the spring season. Keeping it in the ACC, let's go down the Atlantic coast just a little bit and let's do Wake Forest. Look, spring practice is coming up here just a couple days from now. New guy stepping into the quarterback spot. We know Sam Hartman. We know what he was able to do the last couple years with this offense. That slow mesh ride, he was great. He was very accurate. He was really decisive. But there were times when he turned the football over an awful lot. I don't need to tell you that. All you got to do is watch one quarter of football. You'll see five turnovers. Okay, it happens. It happens. But it happens a little bit too much for my comfort level. So I don't think that Wake Forest is necessarily going to be in a terrible spot. I think Sam Hartman's really good, and I think he's going to do great at Notre Dame. Very excited about that transition for him. But Mitch Chris, pretty good player in his own right. He has four of his top five receivers coming back, and you look at you know how things are kind of looking, I think he's got a chance to be decent. Now, he played against VMI last year. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, it's it's VMI. But if you listen to everyone, when Sam Hartman was sidelined earlier last year, nobody in the Wake Forest program or around the Wake Forest program was really concerned about Mitch Griff's being able to fill in for the time being. Against VMI, threw for 288, had three touchdowns. And like I'm telling you, man, when you're at quarterback and you're surrounded by really quality pieces on the perimeter, it's going to help you out an awful lot. So he certainly won't be doing it by himself. They do have to clean up a few things on the defensive side. And when you look at their defense as a whole, they just haven't really been able to put it all together. They did go out and they signed an ESPN 300 player in the secondary. That's Antonio Robinson. Maybe he steps right in and becomes a starter immediately. You look at defensive coordinator Brad Lambert, previously of Purdue, formerly the head coach of Charlotte. He's going to be able to put some pieces around, and I think that he'll do a pretty good job in identifying some of the weaknesses that this group has had at times and be able to adjust accordingly. So I have a ton of faith in Brad Lambert and really believe that they should be in a position 
for success moving forward. They bring up new cornerbacks coach as well. Chip West, he was at Syracuse and he did a really nice job at Syracuse the last few years. So he'll be able to get that position playing up to a level that they haven't consistently had at Wake Forest in quite some time. All eyes are on the Colorado Buffaloes this spring. We all know, dating all the way back to the day when Deion Sanders was announced as the next head coach of the Buffs, everybody has wanted the piece of Colorado. That includes ESPN, I might add, who is putting one spring game on ESPN's linear program. That would be Colorado's. Yes, this is a one-win team a year ago. I think at the bare minimum, you can expect them to be in the mix as one of the most improved teams as far as win-loss record in the entire country. But what does that look like? Are we expecting Colorado to now immediately contend in the postseason? I think that's a long shot. Are they going to be that team in the Pac-12 that maybe pulls off an upset or two? Maybe knocks one of the playoff contenders out of contention because they get upset at altitude playing on the road at Colorado? Maybe. That's what I think would be a really fun thing for them this year. But here in the spring, what do we want to know? couple things. One, defensively. You bring in Charles Kelly. We all know he's a tremendous recruiter, formerly of Alabama, formerly of Florida State. The guy can recruit the lights out. But what is he going to do, I think, as far as his defensive structure is concerned? Are they going to live playing a lot of man coverage? Are they going to do a lot of pattern matching like they've done in the past? And we all saw what Charles Kelly did at Florida State when he had a super elite defender. He moved them all over the place, and he created individual matchups for that player. Jalen Ramsey comes to mind. Other players come to mind. He did a really good job of moving pieces around and featuring defensive back personnel. Well, in comes Travis Hunter. And Travis Hunter, of course, he transferred along with Deion Sanders. He was at Jackson State the last year, played both wide receiver and in the secondary, He's going to probably be that guy defensively. Yes, he's going to live in the perimeter. But will it be Travis Hunter Island? I don't know. Will they slide him inside? Will they move him around? Will they feature him within the defensive sets? That's what I'm really interested in seeing. Charles Kelly's a great, great coach. Phenomenally good coach. A guy that I've really enjoyed getting to know over the years. How will he use arguably the biggest transfer in the entire country? The only person that might be in contention with Travis Hunter, as far as his immediate impact is concerned, is Shador Sanders, who over the last couple of years has had really nice seasons for Jackson State. But there's no one that's going to deny that this is a significant step up in competition. We know that. The good news is he has Sean Lewis as his offensive coordinator. Look, Deion Sanders is going to promote the program. He's going to brand the program. He's going to market the program. But he did a remarkably good job in identifying potential difference makers at both of his coordinator spots. I would think he's going to be hands-off from that point. He's going to let Charles Kelly coach the defense. He's going to let Sean Lewis coach the offense. And Sean Lewis, if you're unfamiliar with who Sean Lewis is, the guy played at Wisconsin. But the offense that he ran the last couple years was one of the fastest, most hyper-speed tempo offenses 
in the entire country. He was at Kent State, and they ran all sorts of stuff, which to me is mind-boggling to have played as a tight end at Wisconsin and then to morph into a new-age hyperspeed tempo offense Feels a little bit counterintuitive, but he's made the transition beautifully. Of course, at Kent State, the win-loss record isn't necessarily going to blow you away. He was the head coach there for five seasons. Went 2-10, and 7-6, and six. COVID-shortened year, went 3-1, and one. went 7-7, seven and seven. got to a bowl game there in both 2019 and in 2021, and then this past year, he was 5-7. and seven. So you're going to sit there and say, man... 24 and 31 record as a head coach is not exactly great, but then you look at what Kent State has done at times in the past. They have not exactly been the steadiest program in the world. How will Sean Lewis create this offense and implement this offense with a very talented Shador Sanders at quarterback? How will he feature him in the run game? How will he feature him by pushing the ball down the field? Those are all questions that we're going to really want to try to find out. Now, will we find out everything in the spring? Probably not. No. It's the first year of a first-year head coach, the first time he's been a head coach at this level of football, the Power Five. So we're not going to find everything. I think there's going to be a lot of mystique surrounding the program throughout the course of the summer. We might not know exactly who Colorado is, until week one or week zero or whenever it is they tee it up for the very first time. We might not know a whole lot before then, but it sure is going to be fun to watch their spring game on ESPN because there are question marks abound with all the different pieces they added via the transfer portal with all the guys that signed their letter of intent going to Colorado, one of the better recruiting classes they've had there in a very long time. How many of those guys will play early? We all remember the clip that went viral, said, hey, I'm bringing my luggage and it's Louie, right? Well, the luggage is there. How much of the luggage will we see in the spring? That's what we're anxious to find out as it relates to Deion Sanders' first spring season as the head coach of the Buffaloes. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Moving on to the national runner-up, the TCU Horn Frogs. Now, going to look a little bit different. Now the jury's out. Everybody knows that Sonny Dykes is legit. Everybody knows what this team can now become. Are they going to make a run to another college football playoff berth? Well, it starts in the spring and it's going to look a little different with their offensive philosophy. I think they're going to still be true to who they are. Let's not get away from what worked last year, right? But your offensive coordinator is different. Garrett Riley, now the offensive coordinator for the Clemson Tigers. 
In comes Kendall Bryles, a guy with great Texas roots, has obviously spent time at Baylor, has spent time at Arkansas the last few years, and did a really good job, I think, in bringing K.J. Jefferson along the last couple of years and featuring an offense that made him really comfortable. But you're having to replace some key difference makers, really the three-headed monster that was on that side of the ball. Max Duggan's gone. Quentin Johnson's gone. Kendra Miller's gone, among many others. So it won't be easy for Kendall Browse to come in and just replace those guys that were so remarkably productive a year ago. You look at how things have gone, though, in the past. They've done a pretty dang good job already identifying potential difference makers that could transfer in, just like they did last year, and improve this roster and its depth significantly. They found a trio of transfers just from Alabama alone. Wide receiver JoJo Earl, slot guy with great explosiveness, get him the ball in space, let him work with it. Trey Sanders, a running back that at one point was supposed to be the bell cow back, an injury never really allowed him to totally see his potential at Alabama, but still a very talented guy nonetheless. And then the offensive lineman Tommy Brockermeyer, who was supposed to be that lockdown left tackle, but it just never materialized. Those guys, will they find their way on the field here in year number one, we will find out. It wasn't the only ones. They continued to raid the SEC and added a piece from LSU in Jack Besh. Now, Jack Besh was used in kind of an interesting way at LSU. At times, he was actually listed as a tight end, but he's really undersized to be a traditional Y. He's six foot two, 220 pounds, but extremely soft hands, extremely re- reliable, and could very much play out on the perimeter as kind of an isolation weapon that can create some matchup issues against undersized corners. They also added the receiver from Oklahoma State, that's John Paul Richardson, and they added a few others as well. So you think about all these different transfers. The transfers to TCU, how much of an impact will they make in their first year in Fort Worth? Another storyline that we're going to be following very closely, Chandler Morris. He won the starting quarterback job last year. Remember, he got hurt against Colorado in the season opener, but he was the starter on day one. Max Duggan came in, the rest was history. But Chandler Morris ultimately won that job in the preseason. He's very mobile, he's got great athleticism, and should be in a position to at least be the starter in 2023. I think there's a real chance, a real chance that he could have a very special year. We know this offense is extremely quarterback-friendly, I'd be really surprised if it isn't very similar to what we saw a year ago. On the defensive side, they have a few guys that they have to replace as well. You have to replace the Thorpe Award winner in Trey Hodges Tomlinson. You have to replace four sacks in the Fiesta Bowl alone in Dylan Horton. And you got to replace D. Winters, that guy in the middle of the defense that went all over the place. It was not easy, but they did add some pieces on the defensive side as well via the portal. Going to be very interesting, I think, to watch this team this year. Everybody and their brother were taken by surprise by TCU last year. I liked them. I remember telling you in the summer, I really liked TCU. But when I said liked TCU, it was like nine and three, eight and four. Pretty good year. Nobody could have expected them to get to the national championship, beat Michigan along the way, and ultimately find themselves in an opportunity 60 minutes away 
from bringing home their first national championship in nearly a dec- uh, nearly a century. So going to be very interesting to see what they can do now because they are no longer the hunter. They are the hunted. And everybody in the Big 12 is going to pin their ears back and come after TCU the best way they know how coming up here in 2023. A team that is also transitioning from hunter to hunted the Tennessee Volunteers. Now, we had Josh Heupel on the show last year. And I remember saying this all throughout the preseason, saying, man, they are this year's Ole Miss. Remember Ole Miss back in 2021? If they were just going to be a little bit better on defense, they could legitimately make a move. That ultimately proved to be pretty dang true. They got a little bit better on defense. Granted, yeah, there were times, the South Carolina game in particular, where the defense didn't play great. But still, man, they got a little bit better on defense and look at the results. They knock off Alabama for the first time in 15 years. They get to the New Year's Six where they knock off Clemson in considerable fashion. They played beautifully at times throughout the season. Now, there were some inconsistent moments for sure, especially on the defensive side. But think about where they're at. Are they ahead of schedule? You better dang believe it with Josh Heupel there on Rocky Top. Let's think about what the big elephant in the room is, though. you got to replace Hendon Hooker. Just me talking. I'm not concerned about it. And that's no disrespect whatsoever to Hendon Hooker. I love Hendon Hooker. I think he's a phenomenal young man. I think he's a very gifted football player, and he had a great year last year. But I am far less concerned about the quarterback position at Tennessee than one might think, because I've seen Joe Milton throw it with my own two eyes. That guy can rip the football. Now, we all know the issues that Joe Milton has had from time to time. He has a little bit too much horsepower for his own good, a little bit too much arm. What does that result in? Long foul balls. We can't have long foul balls next year. He's got to rein that thing in. And if he only has one pitch, that's going to be a problem. On those shallow cross routes, you can't throw it 100 miles an hour because those things, if they're coming in too hot, they get tipped up, they get intercepted. And when you throw a deep ball and a guy's behind the defense and you overshoot him by 20 yards, that's obviously an incompletion. It's no different than if you threw it in the ground three feet away from you. So it's going to be really important for Joe Milton to continue to get comfortable and continue to get on the same page as some of his wideouts. I like that they're having a quarterback competition. I'm not sure it's necessarily going to matter. Everyone's already raving about Nico Imaleva. I'm I'm not convinced that he's going to be able to do enough here in a 15-span spring practice setting and a 15-span fall practice setting to overtake a guy that just played really well against a legitimate defense in the Clemson Tigers. So that's, I think, a huge key. Remember, they also lose their offensive coordinator. Alex Golish is now the head coach at USF. I'm not super concerned about it because the offense identity is not really going to change. Josh Heupel's still there. Joey Halsley He's been around Josh Heupel for a really, really long time. I think it's going to be seamless as they transition into a new era with a new offensive coordinator. I'm very bullish on Tennessee this year. I really like what they bring back. I am concerned about replacing the Bolitnikoff Award winner. I think that's going to be a difficult thing to overcome because of the speed that was on the field every single time 
he lined up out there in isolation. But either way, you still bring back Brew McCoy. You have other young, talented wideouts that are just waiting for the opportunity. I'm not worried about that position whatsoever. Offensive line, that group's going to need to solidify, but the tempo that they utilize does help that group from time to time. But they're a lot more physical last year than people realize. So can they carry over some of that physicality that they used with success last year? And then defensively, I think they're going to be really improved on that side of the ball, potentially. Not because their personnel is going to be a whole lot better, but I do think they are going to have a better understanding of the system at all three levels that will allow them play to play more consistently here at times next season. So I'm very excited about Tennessee. I can't wait to see them in spring, but we all know me. Just like every other team I've listed already, I can't wait to watch the quarterback position and watch it really closely. All right, Tennessee bold prediction. They'll win double-digit games in back-to-back seasons for the first time since 2003 and 2004. It's a difficult prediction to make, but I'm going to say yes because I'm going to factor in at a bare minimum that they win their bowl game based on what I saw last year. I think obviously going to Tuscaloosa will be really difficult. They have some t- they have difficult games on the roster, obviously against... I mean, you look at the game against Georgia. Very, very difficult. Game against Florida, even though everyone knows that, look, they're better than Florida. But going to their place won't be easy. So all things considered, Tennessee still has a very difficult schedule. I think Kentucky has a chance to be better this year. You're going up there. There's a lot of things to consider. So if I had to say right now, does Tennessee win double-digit games? I'm going to say yes, but I'm thinking it's going to look more like a 9-3. and three. And ultimately, they're going to win their bowl game, which puts them over the double-digit win plateau. All right, moving next to a team that does not have significant expectations this year, but there are expectations for progress. It's the Oklahoma Sooners. I happen to rely on tradition. I happen to rely on history. And I happen to just trust Oklahoma. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I think they're going to be pretty good because you can point to last year. Look at them in the first three weeks of the season. They were rolling. Okay. Their starting quarterback gets a little bit banged up. They were not the same team when Dylan Gabriel was at less than a hundred percent. Yes. We all know what the issue was for this football team, but they also had a couple issues offensively at times last year. So I think the offense is going to be just fine. Jeff Levy gets another year. Dylan Gabriel's back. You still have talented pieces along the offensive weapons. You still have talented pieces at running back. And the offensive line hopefully will be a little bit better this year as well. All the questions for Oklahoma that we have this spring live on the defensive side of the football. Now, look, there's some questions offensively, sure. But but let's focus where the improvement really needs to be made. Brent Venable's excitement, everyone's reason for being fired up about him returning to Norman as the head coach was because there was going to be a leap on that side of the ball. There was going to be a newfound commitment to being physical. There was going to be a newfound commitment to being balanced, both offensively and defensively. That obviously escaped them a little bit throughout the Lincoln-Riley era. Defensively, they struggled. Guess what? Year number one, under Brent Venables on that side of the ball, they really struggled. 
You think about losing 49 nothing to Texas. You think about giving up 55 points in a route to TCU. We're talking about a team that gave up 30 points per game. That was 99th nationally. And in the Big 12, they really struggled getting off the field. They went just 3-6 and six in the Big 12. I mean, tell me. You tell me. I've been watching Big 12 football since I was a kid. I've never seen Oklahoma struggle the way they struggled this past season. Granted, I didn't watch as much Oklahoma football in the 90s, but I did watch a whole heck of a lot in the 2000s and the 2010s. I think this team, last year's performance, was an anomaly. I think they're going to be better this year. They addressed the issues already by going out and adding some immediate impact players. Go out and you get Desan McCullough. That's a transfer from Indiana. He's going to play in that cheetah position there off the edge that kind of allowed Isaiah Simmons to become a star at Clemson. That's going to be what McCullough is going to play for Oklahoma. You also think about what they bring back already. Some of their most productive defenders return. You bring back Danny Stutzman. Billy Bowman's back. He is a little bit banged up at times last year. You got defensive lineman Reggie Grimes back. Ethan Downs is back. You got a bunch of guys that played a decent amount of football last year, did have some growing pains, but nobody's going to sit here and say that Brent Venable's defense is an easy one to comprehend and understand. These guys were all learning on the fly last year. So I would imagine they're going to be a whole heck of a lot more comfortable and they're going to be able to play faster, more instinctively because they won't be thinking as much in year number two in the system. You also think about some of the other pieces that they added, man. They did a really good job of going out and identifying some key needs along the defensive line. McCullough being one of the biggest ones, naturally, with his versatility to play on the edge, to move him around. But they also added some bigger bodies up front that should help this group immensely against the run and, I think, against the throw because the pass rush, hopefully, will be a little bit better this year. I think Oklahoma is one of those teams that everybody's sleeping on right now. I'm not necessarily saying they completely flip the script and win the Big 12 here in 2023, but I would be shocked. I mean shocked if they aren't considerably improved on both sides of the ball as they head into year number two under Brent Venables. All right, then. Oklahoma bold prediction. The Sooners will fail to reach double-digit wins again this year. I think double-digit wins is a bit rich at this point. Uh, just being honest, everyone feels like it's especially the blue blood programs in the sport. It's like a birthright to win 10 games. It's it's like, well, roll out of bed, hey, 10 and 2, ah, you know, like it's not. Winning 10 games is very difficult. I don't think Oklahoma turns it around that much. Why? Because I think the depth of the Big 12 is very real. Plus, you have some new teams that are going to be in the league that are a little bit less familiar. Do I think Oklahoma can beat the likes of the newcomers to the Big 12? Yeah, I do. I think their roster is even better than that of the teams that they'll be facing. But the Big 12 still remains very deep, still remains very competitive, and still retains a whole heck of a lot of parity, even though there's a lot of really good players that have departed from last year's roster. So I think that being a 10-win team in 23 would be a significant overachievement. Doesn't mean they're not going to be considerably better from what they were last year. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets but expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, like we always do, we try to get to a couple mailbag questions. We're continuing to check off some of these great questions. We appreciate you continuing to send them to us at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com and on the Twitter and Instagram handle at alwayscfb. So hit us up on those. Send us a question. We will get to it. I promise you that. Even if we don't get to it soon, if we view it as more of a summertime question, we'll get there, I can assure you. So continue to hit us up. What do you got for me today, Coops? All right, first one comes from Tavi in Mississippi. Coordinator hires to me can be huge game changers for programs. Pete Golding could be one of the best hires in the offseason due to his knowledge and ability to recruit the state of Mississippi and its rich talent. How good of a hire could this be for Lane Kiffin and his program to take the next step? I think it's a great hire. I, I really believe. I think it's honestly one of those situations that it couldn't have worked out better for everyone involved. Let's start from Alabama's perspective. They had, I think it kind of run its course there where felt like the fans had kind of turned on Pete Golding. I don't think it was entirely fair, but Alabama gets a fresh start with the new coordinator. Pete Golding gets a fresh start at Ole Miss in the SEC, back in a state that he has recruited for a very long time, has a great familiarity with all the different coaches here in the southeastern part of the United States. And I think he improves a defense that has really lacked an identity the last couple of years. If you look at what Ole Miss has been, they've been a group that tried to attack early. They realized they didn't have the personnel at that point. Then they went to what became kind of the, the defense of college football there for a little bit. Three safeties, don't let any big plays you know, shrink the field, hold them to field goals. That was basically the goal. Like Basically played prevent on every snap until you get to the red zone and then you play normal defense. So they have kind of lacked an identity. And I do think that Pete Golding is going to be able to give that identity back to them. Very excited about what he might do. Now, the personnel, of course, is still of concern. 
I think Ole Miss, from a defensive personnel standpoint, they struggle relative to some of the other teams in the SEC. So they need to improve their personnel at some point, but doesn't look like that's necessarily going to happen this year. I think I'm most interested in just figuring out what will Lane Kiffin want his defense to look like? He was very involved in transitioning from what they were into becoming that prevent style defense that they ran for a couple of years. Will he continue to want to run that type of style or will he totally give over the keys of the car to Pete Golding? So going to be very interesting to see that transition. But either way, I think it's a great situation for Ole Miss, for Pete Golding, and in some ways for Alabama as well in his departure. All right, next question comes from Tim in Ohio. Florida has not had a true identity on defense the last few years. Do you think Coach Austin Armstrong, who was good at Southern Miss, could change that around? Uh, One, I have not been around Austin Armstrong. I've been around people that have been around Austin Armstrong. So take this with a grain of salt. It's hearsay, and it's two steps removed from the actual source itself. Everyone that I've said that spent some time with him swears by him. Say he's a great defensive mind. He's a terrific teacher and will do a great job at whatever job he was going to take. And I was actually surprised that he took a job at Alabama as a position coach because it felt like people were going to be knocking down the door to try to make him a coordinator. That ultimately happened. It just happened a little later than I had anticipated. I look at where Florida's been defensively. And Florida seems to think, or at least the last couple of years, they seem to think it was scheme related. That's why they haven't been as good as they've been in the past. I kind of disagree with that. Even dating back to Grantham when he was there for quite a while, I don't feel like his scheme all of a sudden just stopped working. That wasn't the case. It's just Florida's personnel is not what it once was. I mean, think about this. Brenton Cox was the best player on Florida's defense last year. Brenton Cox wasn't on the team at the end of the year. And I don't know when Brenton Cox is going to get drafted, but it won't be on day one and it probably won't be on day two. That was your best defensive player. And if you could tell me, well, the middle linebacker, Ventrell Miller, was really the best defensive player. Yeah, pretty good. But relative to the expectations that Florida has, he wasn't Brandon Spikes. Good player, but he wasn't Brandon Spikes. He wasn't Carlos Dunlap. I mean, I, I think part of the issue is that when you look at the personnel that Florida's had on defense the last couple of years, they're nowhere near as good as they once were. So Austin Armstrong is going to be really good as far as the XO is concerned, but much like we just talked about with Ole Miss, you're only as good as your players. They have got to get guys in that can play at a really high level, and they got to develop guys that are on the roster to playing at a more consistent level. So I think it's really more of a personnel issue at Florida the last few years than it is a scheme issue and an identity issue. I know what their identity is. I just don't feel like they've had the guys that have been able to execute the identity that they wanted to be the last couple of years. All right, final thought here. We thought we'd put a little ranking together. Okay, we're going to do a ranking of the top five. Well, the way Kubiak phrased it, my favorite five college football plays since the year 2000. That's the way it was phrased, okay? Not top plays, not best plays, not most impactful plays. My top five favorite plays from the last 22 seasons. Are you good with that? Because that's the way Kubiak explained it. So I am... This is such a great disclaimer. I'm telling you that's the way it was explained. So you can get mad at him. 
if there's a play on here that gets excluded. I was allowed to show favoritism, so therefore, I'm going to show favoritism. Here's some honorable mentions for the top five plays. They didn't quite make the list, but they're on there somewhere. The Bush push. Of course, Reggie Bush pushing Matt Leinert after Notre Dame ceremoniously grew out their grass to be about a foot long to slow down the USC Trojans. The Bush push is an honorable mention. The goal line stand, people don't remember this as much. People remember the call, no call, pass interference in the Ohio State-Miami National Championship game. But if you actually fast forward, the goal line stand by Ohio State in getting off the field on four plays inside the inside the two-yard line, that was the biggest difference in the game. They won the game, obviously, as a result of that stand. That would be an honorable mention. Drew Tate to Warren Holloway, the touchdown pass in the Capital One Bowl back in 2005, hits the seam, and he catches it to beat LSU at the buzzer. That would be in there as well. Appalachian State blocking the field goal by Corey Lynch there to secure the victory against Michigan. That would be a notable one as well. And then finally, a notable honorable mention, the kick six. I don't need to tell you a whole lot more about that one. Needless to say, get mad at Kubiak. He said my five favorite plays. I'm sorry, the kick six is not one of them. Not going to list it on there. Don't care. What I will list on there are my top five favorite plays. Okay, Number five, fourth and 12, Alabama in 2005, playing against Southern Miss. Alabama actually down 21-10 in the game with 30 seconds remaining in the second quarter. Fourth and 12, Brody Croyle throws a deep post over the top. It's perfectly covered. But Tyrone Protho reaches around the guy's back to make a catch against his shoulder pads to secure the touchdown. Fourth and 12, down 11, going into halftime at home against Southern Miss. And Protho makes that incredible play. That is number five. At number four, the Texas Longhorns against the USC Trojans in the 2006 BCS Championship. It was the 2005 season. Vince Young had had a remarkable game up to that point. Everybody and their brother knew that at the eight-yard line with 19 seconds left, Vince Young was going to run the football somewhere. Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas wins the national championship 41-38 in what was one of the most incredible games in the history of the college football world. Number three, incredible game that everybody remembers. Michael Crabtree, 2008, Texas against Texas Tech. This was number seven. Texas Tech hosting number one Texas in Lubbock back on November 1st. It was a late game. They reeled off 27 consecutive points, Texas did, to take the lead 33-32 with 129 remaining. Graham Harrell and Michael Crabtree took it from there. Second down now. Deep strike. Got the big man. Crabtree pulls free. And touchdown, 
down. Red Raiders with a second to go. After the win, they rose to number two in the ranking, one of the highest rankings that Texas Tech has ever had, if not the highest, one of the most incredible finishes ever there in what was a cool rivalry there in the mid-2000s. At number two, and this one was very, very close to being number one for me, the Liberty for All. It's the way it was described. Boise State, Oklahoma, the 2007 Fiesta Bowl. It was actually not the final play. The Statue of Liberty, where they handed it to running back Ian Johnson with the left arm, and he takes it around to the front left pylon. Touched uh, Two-point conversion's good. They win it in regulation. But the hook and ladder, the play before, was also a thing of beauty. So it's really a two-play sequence there as my number two play. This was a game and a play that changed college football forever. It showed you at that point, David could beat Goliath in college football. Pretty cool to see Boise State see what they've done since that moment and continuing to beat and be that giant slayer over and over and over again against Virginia Tech and against uh, Oklahoma State and against, uh, I mean, all the teams that Boise's beaten over the years. They've done it time and time again. Arizona, you name it, Boise's probably Florida State. You name it, Boise's probably beaten them. So for the most part, man, this was the arrival for the Boise State football program and what was one of the coolest two-play sequences in college football history. And then finally, my favorite play that I can remember because I remember it so vividly. I remember it so vividly. I was 14 years old, such an impressionable age. At that point, starting to kind of like LSU, living in Texas, thinking this LSU team's pretty cool. The Bluegrass Miracle. Now, premature Gatorade bath on the sideline, never, never going to be a good idea. All right. It was an unbelievable comeback. And Kentucky has taken the lead with just 11 seconds left, 30 to 27. Everybody in Lexington is going absolutely wild, but they celebrated just a little bit too soon. This is one of those moments where you just have to see it to believe it. You just wouldn't believe it if it hadn't been true. Randall, as time expires, lets it fly. Oh my goodness! Touchdown LSU! They win the game! It was just sheer pandemonium there in Lexington, Kentucky to go from the highest of the highs to the lowest of the lows in about the blink of an eye. One of the coolest plays that I think I've ever seen. I mean, even the broadcast crews, if you listen to the calls, were almost confused. Like, how the heck did that just happen? That's play number one, my favorite play in the last 22 years in the college football world. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jack Foster, for Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI 
to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.